You're always good to be back. I, um, I know he said at the end, but he- here's what I want to just do to give you. Um, you guys support us every month, and there's so many things that have happened since I've been with you last. One of the coolest, and I'm not going to put the pictures up of all of it because it would take too long. I'm not going to put any. But at Christmas, we did a banquet for 40 girls that were out of group homes. They were out of um, uh, foster care, and we had a Christmas banquet. And the ladies at Bayside made this beautiful room, and we bought them all gowns. And they call them garbage bag kids because what happens is when they take them out of the homes because of abuse, they have to get everything and put it in a garbage bag. And then they put them in a distribution center, and then they end up you know, in different places, whether it be group homes. And we were able at Christmas, they all got gifts to open, uh, Forever 21 cards. And if you could have saw those girls in those gowns, they came and tried them on. Some beauticians came over, and they cut their hair, did their nails. And just me and Santa Claus were the only two men there. I I brought Cindy. And Cindy, I I call her Ironside because she's not given to emotions. But on the way home, I looked over at Cindy, and she was crying. And I said, Cindy... I said, what's going on? She goes, Donnie, I just realized that those girls don't have um, birthdays they celebrate where they get gifts and Christmas where they got gifts. And it was one of the most moving nights I've ever been a part of as far as ministry. And I told Jackie, the lady that heads it up, that we're going to scholarship every one of those girls that wants to go to our summer camp. The second reason I'm doing camp, can you put this picture up? There's a girl, she's holding a medal up. Last year, our theme at camp was um, unstoppable. And I was speaking in Sonoma about five months ago, and I walked in the church, and she ran up to her name, Serena. And Serena took her medal out, and she goes, look, look. She goes, I never take it off. Well, you guys that have been a part of camp Thursday night, and people sometimes think, golly, Donnie, those medals are expensive. Some of the people that uh, financially have helped in the past at camp said that those are expensive. And we, we, we pray over them, but we always give them something at the end of camp that would just be a reminder. And she said, I never take it off. I never take that medal off. And so we were talking back and forth, and she said, you know, I, I'm going to come to this summer camp this next year. She said, even if I have to hitchhike. I said, well, you don't have to hitchhike. I said, you'll, you'll be able to get there. <laughs> well, um, we went out to eat. I did with the pastor, and um, he said, do you know Serena's story? I said, no. He said, Serena was living in a camper next to a crack house, and she wouldn't go in that house. That's where her mom was because the men that lived there would rape her, so she never would go in the house. So she would use the bathroom out there in the woods, and that she would get a, um, a shower at one of the friend's house and go to school. A friend at her high school invited her to summer camp, and we scholarshiped her. Serena got saved last year at summer camp. The lady that's smiling really big behind her, her and her husband fought for Serena and got rights to her. Serena now is living in a Christian home in Sonoma County as a result of being saved at camp. And a Christian couple said, we'll fight for her. And they went to court, and they have right now custody of Serena. And she is a Christian home. She's 16 years old. But that's just one story, Pastor Don, from camp. And, and before I preach, because I want to just pray for you at the end, I'm going to have Pastor come. If you'd like to help us with 
what we're doing in the camps. We're already starting to get um, letters, and we are going to do camp. And uh, we're excited about the opportunities of the young people that are going to get to go to camp that can't afford to go. And again, kids at risk, kids in foster care, kids in group homes. I got a letter from a young man that he told me, <laughs> he said, you know, I'm serving God today. He said, I'll never forget when you talk to the judge in Sacramento, and very few people knew this, the judge in Sacramento led him out of juvenile hall to come to camp. He got saved, and he's serving God today. Isn't it a crazy thing? And Pastor Don and I were talking upstairs about the fruit of camp. In some 30 years, over 30,000 students have come through the camps, and many of them are missionaries, pastors, preachers, uh, God using them all over the world. So it, Pastor's going to tell you how you can uh, give to help us, and if you're making a check, make it out to Solid Rock, and then Pastor will give us one. So thanks. Amen. Well, I know our ushers are already inside. This one, Master, I'm going to ask you to pray right now about what you would like to give and prepare that. And we're going to receive the offering at the very end of service. So you be praying and you be thinking about it and let God speak to you. And before we're dismissed, we'll give you the opportunity to give. Amen? Awesome. Come on, Donnie. Thank you for letting me share that. Okay. I was talking to Pastor Don last year. And he, on the phone, shared a thought with me uh, that's out of this passage that God had been revealing to him. You know, last year, I, I, I've been accused of um, looking at a lot, of, a lot of people. We were at spring training, and I did a motivation talk for the, the Kansas City Royals in the manager is a black belt in taekwondo and so he did a feat with us where dean and i were on each side of the blocks the triple break and we put four blocks up for him and dean and i had like 10 and so i broke this side dean broke that side but when he came down he turned his knuckles and scratched him well he didn't scratch him he cut him pretty good and got a gash in his left forearm he was bleeding pretty good the manager well what happened is that mlb major league baseball picked that up and put it on their instagram in two days, had over 300,000 views. And, and literally, that, that went viral. And it it's, was picked up by ESPN. And they showed the feet in slow motion. And they were talking about um, the bricks. And could he really break four? Were they real? And Dean got his feelings hurt. They said, I don't know about that guy on the right, referring to Dean Johnson, but that Lou Ferrigno-looking guy. <laughs> He goes, I think that guy could break anything. So that's what they said on ESPN. So it made me feel really good. Then, then I, was, um, I was in Las Vegas last year, and, and a man in his 80s walked up to me and said, excuse me. He said, are, are you Johnny Cash? And I said, no, I think he died like eight years ago. He goes, man, I, I, he goes, I didn't know that. But he goes, man, yeah, I was looking at you, and I thought you were Johnny Cash. <laughs> and then remember that uh, uh, blue jacket I have, the real bright one? I wore that to Dave Baker's to preach over there in uh, Vacaville. And I'm, I'm, I pulled up, and I got out of the car, and this guy walks up to me and goes, man, he goes, you know who you look like? I'm thinking Lou Frigno, Johnny Cash. I, I hear a lot of different things. And um, 
who I look like, and, and then he said, Wayne Newton. And I, no, no. I burnt that jacket. I'll never wear that jacket again, Don. I will never wear that jacket. You'll never see that jacket. That's right, brother. And it was really funny is all the youth, so they were like Googling Wayne. They don't know who Wayne Newton is. In Luke um, chapter 15, verse 11, it says, and you guys are familiar with this passage, but I want you to pretend you've never seen it before as far as reading it. And I, I just want you to try to just follow along, and I just want to pull a couple of thoughts out of this. <clears throat> In verse 11, Luke 15, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he spent everything, severe famine in the whole country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to be a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you, no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up, went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. But the son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. So they began to celebrate. Now, I'm not going to talk about the older son because, you know, he was baptized in pickle juice and he had a religious spirit. And how many know if he'd have ran into the older son first, he might have never made it home. And religion can do that to people. I was um, talking to Pastor Don on the phone, and he was talking about the three things lost in uh, this chapter, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And, and Pastor Don said, you know, the lost sheep talks about direction. A shepherd, you know, he, he gives direction to the sheep. And the lost coin, a coin within itself has what? No value. And it's, it's when the money is in your hand. And then the lost a son is identity. And so when you have no identity, no value, no direction, you're going to end up in a pig pen. And I was listening to Pastor John share on the phone. I said, what an insight. So I went back to this passage, and I began to really study it after our conversation. And I started thinking about the importance of this passage and what Jesus was trying to communicate. And there's nothing more important in life than knowing God. And we asked the question, I, I saw a series on who is God. And, you know, that's a question that, that could change everything. You're talking about a game changer. Who is God? Who, who is God? Because when, when you think about that question that, that is asked, who is God? It's the most important question that you could ever ask because modern culture asks the question, who am I? Who am I? But you'll never know who you are until you know who God is. I find in myself, when I look away from me 
into the heart of God, I find my identity, I find my value, I find my worth, I find my significance. But, but by looking to God and asking that question could cause all kinds of upheaval in our lives. Because the answer to that question decides how we worship. The, the answer to that question um, decides how we treat people. The, the answer to that question determines the history of nations. Terrorism, think about this, worldwide now, is about really the question, who is God? We, we have people blowing people up because of their view of God. They're, they're going to have an afterlife, and, and all these things are promised to them because their view of God. And answering that question could change everything I thought was settled. The fact is how we view God determines how we act as a person, how we relate to others, how we worship, and the question that changes everything, because I no longer believe that God is the way I thought he was. And so I'm looking up here, God our Father. God our Father. There's nothing more important in life than knowing God, because your concept of God is going to determine what kind of person you are. The purpose of Jesus' coming was just show us who God really is. And nothing like Luke 15, as far as I could read any scripture to communicate or chapter in the Bible, who God really is, it's this chapter. Because we see through the prophets in the Old Testament God's character, but nobody can show us who God really is except Jesus. So Jesus came to explain who God is. See, people have no problem relating to Jesus or responding to Jesus, but they're afraid of God. Some ways people see God irrelevant, not expressive, no feeling, emotion, looking for a way to punish me, threatening me with hell, some cosmic and personal force. The God of the Old Testament, uh, the enemy will use verses to confirm our worst fears about God. And there's not a name that accurately describes God more than the word Father. Father didn't <laughs> originate with human beings. It wasn't like man was sitting around one day and says, you know, I, I think we need to relate to God by just calling him Father. See, it wasn't man's idea. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. What? That's what he said. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to eternity. No, nobody comes to Father. See, we spend a lot of time trying to introduce people to eternity. I just went to the, that presentation that, they had at Vacaville, my son DJ played Jesus. It was, it was, it was just amazing. He would like look at me, and I was in the audience, and <laughs> he didn't have a line, but he like stole the show. It was just, <laughs> and I, it was, it was, and I don't, I'm not being mean toward the presentation because thank God that people get saved, but it, it's had guys with swords in the front, all the angels are stiff. And, you know, and everything was about, is my name in that book? Is the is name in that book? And, and people were, like, getting drugged into hell. And, 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 and if they got to heaven, it was like a big surprise, even Christians. And I get the message, and I'm not trying to condemn. I think it's wonderful because thousands of people get saved, and people get saved all different ways. But I, I, I left there, and I was talking to Cindy, and I said, you know, Cindy, we spent a lot of time trying to introduce people to eternity. And some people, they preach on hell, and they look like they just got back. Yeah. Some people preach on hell, and it's like they want you to go there. <laughs> you know, veins sticking out of their neck and all red-faced, and you're going, man, you're scaring me. See, 
you talk about God, and right away people think omniscient. We, we think um, he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. And, and that scripture right there, Matthew 6, disciples, they came to Jesus, and they said, teach us to pray. And Jesus makes the statement, this is the way you pray, our Father. Now, Jesus used a term that was used in everyday life to address God. This shook the entire religious scene. In the NIV dictionary of New Testament theology, nowhere in the entire wealth of devotional literature produced by ancient Judaism do we find Father used in addressing God. Nowhere. Can you feel the impact of this? If, if you don't know what it's like to be increasing the knowledge of God as your Father, then you don't know why Jesus came. You, you can change those slides and follow. Yeah, keep going. Because I'm going to get this. Keep going. You just got the passage. We, we got a flow here. Keep going, bro. Gosh, I didn't realize. Okay, that was the beginning. Keep going. There's nothing more important in life than knowing God. Your concept of God will determine what kind of person you are. We've talked about that. Go ahead. Because I want you to get this. Okay? The prodigal son, isn't it true? He, he had the father in his hand, but not in his heart. Now, Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. Nobody comes to what father except by me. If you really knew me, you'd know my father. And then look what Philip says. He said, Jesus, if, you, if you're just so as the father, it will be the icing on the cake. And, and what does Jesus say? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone that has seen me has seen the father. If you want to know what the father's like, look how Jesus, I mean, God in human shoes. Father God expressed in the example the way Jesus loved people, treated people. One in three teenagers live in a fatherless home. I want you to put this up. 63% of all suicide come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless runaway come from a fatherless home. 71% of all pregnant teenagers come from the fatherless home. 85% of all young people in prison come from the fatherless home. What, what do you think of when you hear the word father? Do you automatically think of provision? Protection, warmth, and tenderness. Does the word father paint a different kind of picture for you? See, each person seems to have a different idea of what God's like because we tend to attach the feelings, impressions we have of our earthly father to our concept of our heavenly father. Our own experience with human authority is usually transferred over to God. Good experiences bring us closer to know and understand God, just as bad experience create distorted pictures of our Father and his love for us. Many people today have misconceptions about God, especially when it comes to knowing him as Father. Our Heavenly Father at this very moment is being slandered, misrepresented all over the world by men's cruelty and selfishness. I, I think about at camp, the, the young man that came to me last year and he was an African-American young boy, probably 15 years old, uh, from Oakland, California, that was at the camp. Ron and his wife, Fran, they scholarship young people from the inner city of Oakland. And he, he was at the altar on forgiveness night. He was crying. I went over to him. 15-year-old boy. He looked up at me. He said, my dad and mom got a divorce two years ago. 
He said, my dad said that he was going to call me every day. And he said, mister, with tears running down his cheeks, he said, I've been waiting for that phone call for two years. We, we were doing schools in Antioch, California, and we divided up the school in a junior high. We did the seventh grade, then we did the eighth grade, and we took a break in between. So after we did the seventh grade, I went outside, and we, we were setting up for the next assembly, and I looked at these junior high boys that were outside. Were, it was recess, and they were playing. They turned around and just started following me. So I went inside, and this little guy nudges up against me, and I just grab him, and I put him in a headlock. And uh, you got to see this to, to really appreciate it. Okay, I put him in a headlock, and then another kid, they line up, and, and I'm putting kids in headlocks. I mean, one after another, look at them. They're, look at them. They're lining up for me to put them in a headlock. I walk, and, and, and I'm standing there in this, this uh, the lady that's the truant officer and uh, on campus dealing with any of the kids that are in trouble walks over to me, and, and she's crying. And I said, what's going on? She said, Donnie, those kids, she said that you were put in a headlock, they, they caused me the most problems at, at the school. And she said, here they are lining up for, for you to put them in a headlock. And they were just crying out for a dad. I mean, I sit in a school assembly after school assembly on a bleacher and just listen. You know what she said to me? I wish you were my father. And I said to her, why? She says, I don't have a dad. I mean, Let's get back to the passage because I, I know we had limited time. Uh, verse 12, give me my share. The older brother got two-thirds. The younger brother got one-third. So we, we know the story. He goes, verse 14, he spent everything, severe famine in the whole country, began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to be a citizen of that country, sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now, a Jewish boy <laughs> feeding pigs. I mean, I topped the list of unclean animals. <laughs> I mean, if a, if a pig rubbed up against you, I mean, there was a ceremonial cleansing you had to go through. I mean, here is this boy. And then it says in verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. I mean, it was so bad, he's going, I'm willing to eat some pig food. How I many know you are at a low place right there when you're ready? But every time the temperature went down a degree, it was God saying, go home. Every pod he fed the pigs with every rumble of his stomach every hog that rubbed up against him it was the finger of god saying go home the bible says in i want you to put this up psalms 23 verse 6 surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i will dwell in the house of the lord forever that word follow surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life everywhere in the old testament it's translated in a negative sense as pursue, like hunting dogs pursuing its prey. It means to relentlessly go after someone. It's used of armies that are pursuing their enemy. The one time in the Old Testament it has a positive connotation, we give it the weakest translation. Surely goodness and mercy <laughs> will pursue me like hunting dogs. They're going to come after me to do good. The good shepherd has two dogs. One's name is 
goodness. Others' name is mercy. And they're relentlessly pursuing me. So when I get away from God, there's mercy barking in my face. And and there's goodness nipping at my heels, ever turning me to God. Can't you see in the picture of your mind, the feet of your mind, that boy going out there, his, his robe is torn his cheeks are gone. His eyes are red. He's feeding the pigs. And there's a voice saying, you can go home. You, you, you can go home. That's, that's the goodness of God. Verse 17, he came to his senses. He saw himself. He looked inward. Repent. Some people think it's, it's doing something you don't want to do to pay off a debt. No, that's not what repentance is. Is it feeling sorry? No, that, that can be a part but it's not the beginning. The word metanoia, it means to change your mind. I have to come to myself. And, and people come to the Lord different ways. If you can put that up, metanoia, if it's in the slide. Metanoia, I don't know if it's in the slide, but it's a, it's a Greek word that, that for our word to repentance, which means a change of mind. Let me put it to you this way. People don't get saved necessarily when they raise their hand and come forward. They get saved while you're preaching. They raise their hand and come forward as a confirmation what has already happened. Because they're having a metanoia experience. The word's being preached. And metanoia means to change your mind. A change of mind results in a change of direction. So, I mean, let's be honest. Most of our testimonies if we got honest, we're going along in life, and like a rock fell on us, and we're like, help, go God, help, help. That's, that's, that's how most of us came. And people come different ways. Cindy, my wife, when she was in high school, she saw the movie Almond. It scared her. And so she started looking at the Bible because it, it, that's how she came. I overdosed on steroids on a college campus. and got very sick. That's how I came. And, and people come different ways. I mean, C.S. Lewis, brilliant mind, atheist, he said when he got saved, on the day he was the most reluctant convert in all the world. Why? Because he'd, he'd studied the scripture, and, and he was looking for a way not to believe in God, and then he came to the point of surrender because he knew Jesus was who he said he was. That's how he came. You know, it's amazing. There's a lot of folks today that talk about evangelism and, and ways to reach out to people. And, and there's a lot of different ways. When I first came to the Oakland A's as chaplain, this is my 29th season. And people are going, man, you're on ESPN. And, and, and now, you know, with, with the exposure God's given to you, I spoke to five teams in, in spring training where they brought me in to do a motivational talk. Um, the Dodgers, we ended up last week on Dodger television. L.A. Times did a story last week on our, on our talk with the Dodgers. It's just been incredibly crazy that, that God has been doing some incredible things. And people say to me, Donnie, man, it's, it's like all this has happened um, overnight. <laughs> no, Pastor Don remembers when I was driving over to the chapel when three guys were coming and two of them didn't want to be there. Three guys. I mean, every week, knocking on the door for the umpires and going, chapel, only to have them close the door in my face. <laughs> and then seven years, knocking on the door, trying to get in, do a chapel for the umpire. So, so what I'm trying to say is that a, a lot of people think that uh, 
everything happens in, in such a quick way and manner. But, but serving and, and being there and being faithful, j- just showing up. So I got there as a young guy and said, well, I'm going to win the whole team board. We'll start with Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. And I wasn't having a lot of influence with those guys as far as them coming to the Lord. And one day I'm standing there next to the batting cage, and a pitcher walks over to me. He was a relief pitcher, and he goes, I have some shoulder uh, problems, and, and the doctor said it could be career-ending. A rock had just fallen on him. And that day I led him to the Lord. Here's my philosophy in evangelism. Look for falling rocks. You know, we talk about, well, my neighbor, I'm going to take him to a ball game, have barbecue, and then one day invite him to church. There's nothing wrong with that. But what about the neighbor across the street that's an alcoholic? His wife has just left him. It looks like he's going to lose his job. Folks, there are people all around us where rocks are falling on them. Great opportunities. That'd be a great message, Pastor Don. Look for falling rocks. So, so now, he's having this experience, and, and he's come, what, to his senses. Moms, grandmas, grandfathers, and dads, if you have a son that's away from God, don't go down to the pig pen and hang some pictures and try to clean it up. They got to come to their senses. You said, that boy, man, he, he, he doesn't make sense. He's, not li- he's living outside of his senses. He hasn't come to his senses. He doesn't get it. And, and he, because, listen, faith, write this down, cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. You got, faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. If man can do it by himself, he usually does. <laughs> <laughs> and life is ever bringing us into a place of dependency on God. God, I need you. And people say, well, it was the love of God that drew this boy home. No, it was his tummy. He was hungry. He got hungry. And he came to his senses. And then look at verse 18 and 19. He starts preparing his speech. I will set out and go back to my father's house. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. That word really interested their hired men. See, the servants stayed on the quarters on the property. A hired man was different, and it's really interesting the way these words are used, and they're words for a reason. Hired men were seasonal. They came during harvest or when they were planting. They lived in the city, and they would hire them just for the season. You got to see this because this is how far this boy has fallen. Basically, what he's saying, I'm going to go home and I give my dad a piece of paper and I say, Dad, here's my phone number. If you ever need somebody to come and work, I'm available. I'm available. And then he begins his, his journey home. I mean, when you look at what is going on, the Bible says in verse 20, the father saw the boy a long way off. See, from the farmland, you could see a great distance. 
maybe on the horizon there was a road that, that the boy took to go to the distant country. But every time the father was farming, his eyes were ever scanning. His eyes were ever looking on the horizon. Oh, you don't see someone far off unless you're looking for them. So every time that father was plowing, he was looking up. He was looking for the son. Can't you see him one day? He's standing there, and he looks up, and is that him? Oh, no, it's just a mailman. And what does he do? He goes back, and he feeds the fattened calf. How many of the fattened calf didn't get fat overnight? He fed the fattened calf. That was the wheat calf. From the Hebrew in, in the Old Testament, they set aside a calf for special celebrations. And every time he fed that calf, what he was saying is, my boy is coming home. My boy. He was feeding his faith. My boy's coming home. He'd go in his room and get his ball glove and, and hit his fist in it and said, my son and I are going to play catch again on the front lawn. See, this is what some of you that have children are not presently serving God. You need to change your confession. This year they're coming home. This year she's coming home. This is the year. And so he looks up and he sees the silhouette. I mean, was it the, the gait in his walk? Was it the way he stood? Nevertheless, that's my son. And what does he do? The father starts running, jumping fences, running through fields. This is the heart of God. And one, God gets to him. And this is what Jesus is saying. He falls on him. That same word, fall there, is an interesting word. It's used in the book of Acts when it said the Holy Spirit fell on them. It literally means to fall on someone with an embrace to they sense and feel your love. He fell it, but he smelled like a pig. His hair's matted. We don't know how long he was in the pig pen. Was it three months? Was it a year? But, but see him. I mean, his cheeks gaunt. He's lost weight. He's barefoot. His robe is torn. He, 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 and the Bible says the father begins to kiss him. Now, your Bible says kiss, but the verb in the Greek is continually. He was... He's kissing him. D Dad must have been Italian. He's kissing him. Okay, come here, Buck, real quick. Stand over here. Okay. I, I don't know if you've ever seen me do this, but this is so key. The, the father turns and he says, quick, bring the best robe. Bring the best robe. Now, why didn't he march him up huh, through the city and then, and then take him up through the gates and everybody could see because they were far off he could have taken him that journey and said boy get in there get a shower and go in my closet pick the best robe no he says go get the best robe go get the best robe and bring it and and when he did he, he goes now i don't know if he had to go behind a bush a tree but basically, Buck, here's what's happening. He said, nobody needs to see you like this but me. The Father was covering him. See, people will shame you. God will never shame you. 
So wh what he did is he went and he, and he put the robe on him to cover him, okay? He covers him. He covers him. And I was thinking about what Pastor Don said to me on the phone. Identity, identity is from the Father. We talk about the robe of righteousness and we're righteous in Christ, and that's true. But the identity, he was restoring his identity. And then the ring, well, the signet ring, that was like when they went into a store back then and they bought them, they would take the signet, it was like a credit card, and they would put it in wax. But he restored his value. And now, now, he, he takes his feet. We said, well, he took the sandals and, and the sandals, you know, that he put on. There were two different types of sandals. We can get all in that in the Greek. There was a slave sandals and there was this high-end sandal that was wore by. The, the sandals represent what? Direction. Now we're going to walk together in this thing called life. And, and you're my son. A lady came up to me, you know, and she said, you know, Donnie, my son doesn't walk with God anymore. And I said, well, God walks with him. The son was still a son when he was in the pig pen. That doesn't write up some of our theology. You see, that, that's God's responsibility. God's at work in your children's life. God's at work in your husband's life. God's at work in your grandchildren's life. And, and he says, listen. as we walk this out there's just one note that I want you to grasp and if you can put it up I think it's yeah there we go verse 22 and 20 21 but the father said leave it right there go back to 21 the son said to him father I've sinned against heaven I've sinned against you I'm no worthy no longer worthy to be called your son but what's supposed to be after that Make me one of your hired men. It's not there. Why is it not there? God doesn't even let him finish his repentance. He, he, there he is. He's got his speech. He's supposed to say, and the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I, I, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy because you make me one of your hired men. He doesn't. God stops him. He says, get the best robe. He doesn't even get to repent fully. That's God. That's the heart of God. Gosh. Thanks, bro. Thanks, Mark. Okay. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to wrap this up. Can, can the worship team come? Okay. I want you guys to, and we gotta, I know we got to close. I'm doing good. And, and again, I'm not knocking any presentation that anybody does that, that causes people to come to Christ, okay? But can I take a, a, a theology apart just a little bit here that's kind of one-sided? And it's the whole issue, therefore, takes place in the courtroom mentally for most of our lives. Most of it, 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 it takes place in our lives mentally this way God's out to get you and I was watching a preacher just not too long ago on television God's out to get you and this is what he was kind of saying then Jesus came and stood between you and God and Jesus died for you and everybody in the crowd yes 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 that's it 
So therefore, God can't punish you now because God was punished, Jesus, instead of you. So whenever God tries to get you, Jesus jumps between and says, you can't touch that one because I died for him. Courtroom situation. It's hard to sit down and have a cup of coffee with a judge. Donnie, the Bible says that we'll be judged. No, 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 no. The Bible says Christians will be judged, but it'll be the bema. The bema judgment's different from the judgment seat of, you got the judgment seat of Christ, which is the bema judgment. There as a believer, your motive, what you did with your life, your gifts. The great white throne is where the unbeliever will stand. See, if you met him at the mercy seat, <laughs> I'm not worried about the judgment seat. So Jesus jumps in and he says, you can't touch that because I died for him. Courtroom situation. You can't relate to the judge. You're a felon. Angels become FBI agents. The Holy Spirit's a CIA. And Jesus, he's much more approachable. After all, he took our place. It's like Jesus is fooling the judge. He's upsetting the judge's intention. The judge wants to kill us. So the plan of God to harm you is upset. I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about God. I just hope Jesus keeps jumping in because there seems to be a dark side to God. And I certainly can't give myself completely to him because there's always the possibility that I could do something even Jesus couldn't get me out of. Huh? <clears throat> Jesus keeps God at bay. So then holiness becomes a list of things I can't do. And that's the theology most of you in this room were raised with. So being holy means keeping a list of rules. Not so much the Bible, but the rules of the evangelical subculture. <laughs> Love one another is okay, but, but don't smoke because that's going to, you're going to go to hell. And holiness is associated with dress, general sadness all around. So when I was watching that presentation, gosh, it was like the, sword, the, the angels with swords. And, and it was like, you, you, they were like guarding access to God. And, and, and there was just a, a, a book opened. Father God wasn't even in the deal. And I'm not putting it down. But see, it shows me the theology. So we put up on the wall, God our Father. But a lot of us don't really believe it. Because we see him as judge. And listen to me, I gotta, I like, I'm big, I'm strong, but I, I like to be nuzzled. You know, just, just see, the greatest deterrent to sin is his love. I want to bring my life into obedience to him because I love him. Not because I'm afraid he's gonna get me. You see the difference? See, Legalism says, do and you'll become. Grace says, I am, so I do. I've been saved by his grace. I'm kept by his grace. I love him. He's my father. And, and I want you to bow your heads, because some of you, with, with, with your eyes closed, and I'm not saying this to be mean, but some of you have heard growing up the furniture being broken. A man that's yelling and screaming and dad has come home and he's drunk again. 
Some of you, you, you might be here 40, 50 years old and you had an abusive dad. It's all he ever did was tell you what you were not. And, and like I said, what happens, things get transferred over. Maybe your dad was uh, a dad that only accepted you by your performance. If you got good grades, you got an acknowledgement. If you hit the home run, if you got the touchdown pass caught to win the game, if you got the right job, everything is, is around performance in your life and it's a direct result of trying to get acceptance from your father and, and we transfer it over to God and that's why we get into good works and all the things that we can do to, to appease God and I'm going to tell you why Christianity is different from any religion on the face of the earth every religion is man scratching at the invisible trying to do something to appease an unknown God Christianity is the only religion where God comes down <laughs> in pursuit of you, in pursuit of me. And he says, I want to have a relationship. I'm your father. And when you receive him, you receive Jesus Christ in your heart. He's my father. Would you just let the words of this song minister to you? I think it says it all. Do you have that song? Go ahead. Holy Spirit, menace us in our truth of life.
Yes, you are. Doesn't that just sound good? He's your father. I, I pray that this week, as, as you go about your life, that you pause every day and just this week say, Father God, you, you're my father. You're my daddy. That, that's when it says Abba Father, it's the closest word that we can come to is Daddy. And and I want to pray, and, and this is very important for those that have had relationships that are very, very difficult with your earthly father, or maybe he wasn't there at all for you. And, and secondly, those that have grandchildren or children, or even a spouse that presently is not serving God. And then I want to talk to some of you about your heart all of our hearts have a tendency to wander and maybe the holy spirit's telling you it's time to you to reconnect with god the faraway country is just not a physical destination your heart where's your heart at is your heart wandered today reconnect with God before we walk out these doors. So with your heads bowed, I want to pray. Father God, I pray. I pray, God, for those that are here. Lord, number one, that have had poor examples for an earthly dad. God, a dad that wasn't there, a dad that left the home, never came back. Dads that were 